Hello and welcome to the In the Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, February 20th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatown, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Had a fun weekend down in Tampa, weather aside, but it was so great to see so many listeners and contest players and people that I hadn't had the chance to see in a number of years, probably since my last visit uh, to the NHC. So that, so that was great uh, to see uh, the likes of, uh, of Jamal and Randy and, uh, and Brett, who ended up winning the whole thing, and, and so many others down there. Got, spent uh, both days with Brad Anderson, got to have dinner with him. That was great fun. Really great crew and a terrific time. Tampa, very charming track, everything as advertised, again, except the weather. Uh, thanks to Margot and Jason and the team down there for uh, taking such good care of me. This weekend, if you're thinking about contests and you're thinking about uh, traveling to one, there's one coming up that we're going to talk about. It's taking place at Sam Houston, where the man I'm about to introduce is the man behind the mic, among other things, including daily contributor or nearly daily daily contributor over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's on these airwaves all the time. He, of course, is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Doing great, my friend. Glad to hear you survived the uh, little Florida rain and made it back to the bunker in one piece. It's not rain like we have here. I mean, there was something very like rainforesty about it. It was just so unrelenting and for such a long stretch of time. I really, you know, it wasn't like the violent, quick uh, Saratoga rains we're used to. It was it was pretty punishing stuff. Um, but good job by them in terms of the way they did the card. They actually managed to get those turf races in and, you know, moving the stakes races out to, I guess, this weekend ends up being a, a pretty smart thing. I'm a huge fan of the week out draws. I, and, I, and I would choose the week out draw over the 48 hour or 72 hour, whatever it is. But you do see the advantage of the shorter draw time when you see the, the deft machinations Tampa were able to do last weekend. Where do you stand on that as, as a horse player? I assume like me, you like the extra time to study, even if it doesn't give the extra time for them to plan. Yeah, I mean, I think a properly drawn race is going to have MTOs in it, and you're going to be looking at the weather no matter what. But yeah, I think we need to get away from the three-day draws. I think we need to get towards more of a system of of six to seven days. And I mean, you know, you take New York right now, for example, we're drawing we're drawing Friday's card six days in advance, and then every other card three days in advance. Right. Right. So it doesn't really make, and, and especially when you're running on one surface like they are this time of year, there's no reason why you can't you can't draw a little bit farther out. And I've heard the argument about scratches and things like that. I think that's all sort of anecdotal and, and nothing really, you can't tie to it and say, oh, there's going to be more scratches if we draw farther out. The only thing that we run into at Sam Houston and we draw one week out is um, we'll have horses come back and run in the meantime, because we also go final the next day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, I make the morning line on draw day. The only card we don't go final for is Sunday's which we go final on Wednesday. But for example, if you run on Saturday afternoon and you're re-entered to run on the following Saturday, RPPs are going to come out without your running line in it. Right. So our program. So, I mean, again, that's the only sort of pitfall. It doesn't happen all that often. Um, And a lot of times you'll have, sometimes you'll have horses lose the condition as well and they'll have to be a program scratch. So that's kind of the only thing. But again, I mean, that's not going to happen in some of the bigger circuits that's happening on our circuit because we're we're obviously a little bit lower end from a, a, you know, more claiming races, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of Sam Houston, Nick, I want to talk again about this contest that's coming up. Uh, What are all the, what are all the details? Give us the, the who, what, where, when, why. Yeah. So the easiest way, easiest thing to compare it to is this mirrors the old, 
Arlington Park format that was used for quite some time between uh, 15 and 19. This is a $2,000 live money contest. It's all bankroll. We cannot take an entry fee at Sam Houston. And you're going to be required to bet 1,000 of the 2,000 on Sam Houston. And the rest of it you can bet on any races of your choice during the contest period, which is going to be during our live racing card from Aqueduct, Santa Anita, Keeneland, and Oaklawn. And we added Oaklawn, um, even though they're, they're kind of, their big races are not quite done by that point. They don't have a particularly big card that day. They run the Arkansas Derby the week before, but obviously our local, local contingent is, uh, is very into Oaklawn. So um, we wanted to include them clearly on that day. We're going to, uh, we're going to have a lot of good racing from Aqueduct, Keeneland, and Santa Anita. And during that contest period, we're anticipating all of the Santa Anita Derby, Wood Memorial, and Bluegrass to be run. So it, uh, it'll it have definitely a, a really nice offering. We're going to give out one BCBC spot and at least two NHC spots, depending on uh, on how much uh, basically our field size. So if we were to get a few more people in, then we might add uh, add a little bit more uh, another NHC spot. So yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity to qualify for both and we'll have nice uh, hosted seating there and, and some comfortable places to sit. I think everybody who came down for the uh, contest on Houston Ladies Classic Day really enjoyed it. So we're looking forward to uh, to doing it again. April 6th is the day. Lots of triple crown preps. Definitely a great reason. It's in person only, obviously. So you got you to gotta get down there, but they'll take good care of you. What's the best way for people who are interested? Is there a spot on the website? Do they reach out to you? Do they reach out to Brian? What, what's the best? Thing? Yeah, you can go to uh, shrp.com, click on events under calendar and tickets and choose the Houston betting championship and all the information will be there. So it'll have uh, pretty much everything spelled out that I just went over and you'll be able to register there. You'll get a summary of the rules and um, also a link to horsetourneys.com because you can qualify there. I think the qualifier started last week. So uh, we're hoping that we can get, you know, a hat full of people from uh, horse tourneys and hopefully have a decent sized uh, field for this inaugural Houston betting championship. It's going to be great. I wanted to go. Work is going to call me, I think, to Keeneland. So don't, you know, break out the world's smallest violin for me. I can't go to, 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 to contest because I got to go to Keeneland instead. But it's uh, it, it's something that I wish I could get to. You mentioned the success for the contest last month. I think you're going to be able to build on that with this one. It's a great format. So easy without the the entry fee. Uh, I hope a lot of our people turn up there and make sure to say hi to Nick when you see him. If you do. Oh, it was kind of funny. My, I was on TV over the over the weekend on Saturday. It, it worked out kind of well. The, the the Tampa card ends so early, and there was still three hours left of fairgrounds. That that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. If the if the if that card really needs to be seven and a half hours long, and we'll get into some of the intricacies of the issues it creates uh, momentarily when we get to fairgrounds, but. One of the tracks on that was beautifully timed to be featured on Sky Sports Racing stateside alongside Fairgrounds was Sam Houston, Nick. So I got to I got to enjoy your work on Saturday night. I got to say you're you're sounding fantastic on the mic down there. Not that you were ever bad, but like I do hear, I feel like every time you do it, or at least every season you do it, it seems like you you come on for the run and sound better and better. Do you feel that way as a caller? Do you do you notice? Um, improvement over time on the mic? Yeah, I do. I really appreciate that. That's very nice of you. You did not prep me for that. And so I was not expecting any any praise, which, you know, I, I very greatly appreciate. So yeah, what I do as part of my my routine, I mean, I probably 
Um, I mean, I don't want to compare myself to anybody else, but I mean, I am as familiar with the horses running on a daily basis as you possibly can be. Not only do I make the morning line, but I also handicap for TV and uh, produce a tip sheet with suggested wagers for the card. So I mean, I'm, I'm very much locked into to these races. And then what I do, I have about a 30, 35 minute drive home from the track. So as soon as I turn out of the parking lot, I listen to every replay. And I'll make some mental notes at that point to uh, to say, hey, you know, you're saying this too much or stay away from that. And um, and so I think you have to be self-critical with anything. And, you know, I mean, I'll admit too, Pete, and, and I mean, I'm sure you've definitely done a lot of this too. I listen back to a lot of our work to see, you know, how did I sound with that? Was I, did I sound like what I wanted to say? Was I too verbose? Was I too indirect? You know, things like that. I, I think I'm a I'm a film watcher by nature, so I'm a I'm a past performance aficionado. So I like to analyze things that you've done to try and get a sense of what you want to do differently in the future. And um, and Saturday was a really fun day because we had five stakes races, and I've grown to really love a lot of those Texas breads. And uh, we've got a we've got a really nice set of Texas breads now, probably uh, more so than than in quite some time, if not ever. Um, hopefully things can get sorted out long term here so that we can see Sam Houston really be a, a haven for good winter racing because our our Texas bread program has not only improved, but we've got some decent open company races. We just need some things to shake out from some people that really don't know exactly what they're doing. Oh boy. Don't don't get me started. I particularly enjoyed the bling, 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 bling at the end of the at the end of the one call. <laughs> a lot of a lot of too much bling in Texas. Yeah. So there was there was uh, he's a cool cat was being pursued by what silent bling son of a bling unbridled bling and bandera bling last year pinky ring bling won one of the stakes races and I said it's all about the bling. <laughs> That's great. I, and I had to explain somebody was you know one of the Brits was very confused about the you know why there were so many blings and I mentioned about the the, the breeding program and the success that too, too much bling has had uh, has had down there. But anyway, I'm looking forward to coming to visit you. That's interesting what you mentioned about listening back. The first year of the podcast, which if you can believe this, Nick, was 10 years ago come this fall in the whole Place with the Letters podcast. I listened religiously. I've gotten out of the habit, and I should probably get back into it because I'm sure there's things on a daily basis that I could still improve. When you really want to improve at something, though, that's exactly what you have to do. You know, you need reps. And if you're a writer, if you're a writer, you got to go back and you got to reread and rewrite. Sometimes with the benefit of time, too, you go back and, and you can be more critical and, and smartly critical when, you, when you've had some time in between. But I'll admit with, with podcasts, and we're doing a lot of how the sausage is made on this show, we'll, we'll continue in that form with some speed figure chatter as we go forward. As time has gone on, my own... You know, look, I'm not like being falsely modest here, but it's not the most comfortable thing. I don't care who you are. It's not the most comfortable thing to listen to yourself. So eventually I've let that sort of win out. And it's like I'd rather listen to Billy and Michelle's podcast than, than re-listen to mine or whatever uh, or Nick Locke or whomever. Um, so I don't do that as much anymore, but I probably should. And it's a great point for people out there who want to get better at whatever it is. If it's if it's any creative endeavor that involves your voice or, or, or writing, um, going through that exercise really really important let's get into these races from the weekend i want to recap a little bit the future pool let's start off with the risen star we now have a full array of figures on this race and i think it's fair to say that this track changed throughout the course of the day but the figure it was really interesting to see you made the point that time form us might ultimately be a better figure to look at than buyer in terms of judging the the figure for this race 
I'll let you take that ball and, and run with it. Why did you think? Why did you think that was the case? And now that we have all the figures in, how has that affected your evaluation of this year's Risen Star? Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you want to evaluate a horse like Sierra Leone, one of the things you have to understand about him is that it's going to be very difficult for Sierra Leone to run in a race where the figure is going to be abnormally fast because I'm sorry, it's going to be hard for him to win a race like that because of his style. And, and I'm not saying that he's not a horse that as time goes by and distances expand, he might get a little bit quicker early, but he is a slow, early, fast, late type horse. But really when you say fast, late, what that means is that he is decelerating at a much slower clip than the horses in front of him who are decelerating a little bit more rapidly. Obviously dirt racing is run in a downline type of fashion, unlike turf racing. So the fastest that those horses generally run are a bit earlier on. Now with that said, they came home pretty quickly in the Risen Star, and most of these horses were going a mile and an eighth for the first time. He actually was not, having done so in the Remsen. So it's you know it's one of those where, like taking last year's Kentucky Derby, for, for example, a lot of us felt like the figure in that race was too high because it was hard to believe that the pace could be so fast and that they still finished up quickly enough to get 105 fig. Now, based on what unfolded over the course of the next few months, it became clear that, yes, that figure was too high. Um, maybe by five points, maybe by three points, maybe by seven points, depending on on what type of figure maker you are. The point with it all being is that the buyer figure is a final time figure. The final time is going to be heavily influenced by the pace and the strength of the pace. This was a race that was run. And again, we don't really know exactly what the track condition was like. We don't really know what the track speed was like. To put it in perspective, the raw final time, the raw, fi- the raw original figure of both the Rachel Alexandra and the Risen Star were identical. And, you know, it's it's not really the easiest for me to believe that Tarifa and Sierra Leone ran exactly the same race. I think Sierra Leone almost unquestionably ran better. But again, you're supposed to err on the side of the numbers or the numbers. So that's why I, you know, said to you early on, I think this is a race where the Timeform US number is going to give us a way better indication of what happened in here because I do think Sierra Leone ran squarely against the grain of the race from a speed figure and a pace perspective. And um, and I think it was a, it was a really terrific performance on his part. So, what did the time form US number come back? The raw came back one oh six, which would be like an eighty six buyer. But with the upgrade for closing into those blue fractions, the performance figure, the the main time form figure, came back one eleven, right in line ninety one, right in line with the buyer. Just playing the game of projecting this figure, I would be tempted to give it. And knowing how weird the track was with the way that it changed, I don't know if it was the lights going on or just running on that sloppy track for all that time. I, I got the real sense that that track slowed down. Like in my mind, I'm thinking of it more like a mid nineties. Like I'm not, I don't want my gut coming out of the risen star to be, to judge it solely by the clock and be like, this is a slow race. I want to look at a horse that on time form had the following pace line into blue fractions, 83, 84, 87, 97, 106. This horse has more ability than the raw final time suggests, and I think he's a serious player for the Kentucky Derby at this point, even though the speed fig, if I was just being a figure monkey, which I often am, I would take a more a cynical view. I think the, the betting in the in the future pool was, over, it was exuberant. We'll get to that in a minute. But I don't think there's any way this horse isn't, you know, similar to, you know, you look at the other bad brand. I mean, they're all different horses, so I, I don't mean to take, don't take this too literally, but, you know, you look at a good magic, you look at a Zandon, horses that both hit the board in the Kentucky Derby, I got to believe Sierra Leone has at least a chance to do the same thing. Yeah, 
totally agree. I think he fits uh, – he's actually going to have a very similar profile to Zandon going into the Kentucky Derby if the plan stays the same because uh, Zandon ran twice as a as a two-year-old and twice as a three-year-old in advance of the Derby, and it looks like that's exactly the plan with uh, with Sierra Leone. And, and, I mean, I think their speed figures and everything sort of shake out the same way. Now, Zandon lost the Risen Star to Epicenter, and, uh, and Sierra Leone was able to win it before Zandon came back and won the Bluegrass. So one thing that we'll know about Sierra Leone is that he's going to make a final prep over a track that, you know, historically since going back to dirt, Keeneland has not really been a haven for off-the-pace types. So uh, he'll have to run maybe a little squarely against it, but maybe that maybe between now and then Chad tries to put a little bit more speed into him in the morning, which I think is possible. He really was not that far off the pace in his debut. What he clearly is, Pete, is he's a horse that when he is able to get outside and find some daylight, he has a very potent kick. He looked like a more professional horse with blinkers, which is what we wanted to see based on, on the way he kind of breached the front and then pulled himself up a little bit, maybe was, was, you know, ended up being beaten by a horse who was on the best part of the racetrack in the Remsen. But what you wanted to see from Sierra Leone, you got. And I remind people when it comes to to speed figures this time of year, Gunrunner got a 91 in the Risen Star in 2017, in 2016. So, you know, we, we know that Gunrunner, of course, the 2017 version of Gunrunner was a lot better than the 2016 version, but there's nothing wrong with getting a low 90s buyer speed figure in your first race as a three-year-old. Now, if, if Sierra Leone were to come back and kind of slog out a neck win in a driving finish in the bluegrass and get a 93, well, then we'd be worried, right? Then yeah. we'd be concerned that he wasn't taking the requisite step forward. But I think all the expectations at this point, based on what we've heard about his training and what we've seen from him on the racetrack, is that he's going to take a clear step forward in his next start. And he's going to, you know, based on what we expect to see in, in Kentucky in early May, he's going to end up being one of the favorites. Let's talk about Track Phantom next. You mentioned you mentioned a Gunrunner. I think J.K. made the comparison on one of our videos that he wonders if this horse isn't the type that's going to, you know, be at a little bit of a plateau as a three-year-old, be good, and then maybe one that could take a, a step forward later on. You have to say, rewatching the the Risen Star, I mean, Track Phantom, if he's a serious Derby contender this year, he's supposed to win this race. Given the, the the efficiency of his running style, the evenness of the fractions, I mean, I don't want to knock him too bad. He he only lost by by a half a length, but part of the reason why I'm willing to pump so much blue sky above the figure into Sierra Leone is that he was so against what I perceive to be the flow of this race. You kind of have to say the opposite about track about track phantom. He's probably one I'm looking to beat the next day. Uh, am I being too cynical about him? No, I think this, the sprinty nature of his damn side may have come out in this race and may have may have shown to be one of the deciding factors on what his distance capabilities are going to be um, because now they went a mile and an eighth. Now, one thing I'll say is that, boy, there aren't a lot of guys. There aren't a lot of guys who are eligible to run horses in the Kentucky Derby this year that you trust more than Steve Asmussen in terms of squeezing a 10th furlong out of a horse. Um, you know, there were distance concerns about a number of horses that he's had run well in Louisville in the past, and, and he was able to get them there. The good thing is that this horse will continue to train at fairgrounds. He'll likely have uninterrupted training. We have like two weeks of, of very much spring weather coming up down here, and their weather is virtually identical to Houston. The temperature is supposed to be around the 80s for, uh, for the next few weeks. So he's going to have uninterrupted training leading up to the Louisiana Derby. He'll also go a mile and three sixteenths which I think is all, is a little is kind of a good thing for this horse in that we're going to see him tested at a distance that's just about the full derby distance but yeah I mean it was if you were to tell the connections beforehand and we're going to put you on the lead in a 49 and change half isolated on a wet track 
uh, how do you like your chances? I think they would have felt pretty strongly about his ability to win. So getting run down by Sierra Leone isn't isn't quite the most encouraging result. But, um, you know, I, he's a nice horse. He's a horse who seems to fire every time. But, I mean, for people like you and I, Pete, this is a horse who we're going to say he had it all his own way and couldn't get it done. So we're out until proven uh, proven otherwise. He was three to one on the tote board at the half mile. He was probably closer to one to three than than three to one. That's that's I, I think a very very good point given the flow of the race. So okay, let's look at some of the other closers in this race and and talk about their chances. Catching freedom came from far back, finished up well under Sias for Cox. He has moved into Eric DeCoster's top ten, which you can find over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, and then J.K. and I have our videos over at YouTube. We got a bunch of contests too. Uh, we, we need to make this clear. Sometimes we talk about our comments contest on Twitter. You got to make the comment on the YouTube video to be eligible to be uh, featured in the next video for folks wondering. So please uh, go to YouTube and, and check that out. Uh, it helps us out anyway. Maybe the most interesting closer to me looking forward is Honor Marie, who only managed fifth in this race, but was you know absolutely nowhere early. But I think the real key point about liking Honor Marie for the future with the notes from our friend Frank McGowey uh, also a WHT final tableist with you many moons ago, Nick. He's now clocking at fairgrounds. He thought Honor Marie was noticeably short heading into the race. He was bet as if notably short as well. And I think all things considered uh, ran okay in a race that didn't come back with the fastest figure. Am I you know, cutting in line to bet him for the Derby? No, but I think this is a horse who has a good chance of being overpriced next time due to those little pieces of information that might not be fully baked into the price. The idea that he wasn't fully fit and just given how, you know, against the flow he was, what do you think about honor Marie moving forward? Yeah, totally fair point on all those. I think, I think uh, knowing that Frank felt like his training may not have been ideal um, and him running the race that he did, I think is very encouraging. So, uh, you know, he's a horse that look, Whit Beckman has the luxury at this point of being a little bit more conservative because he does have some points already. He doesn't need to win a prep race. I mean, I think ideally you don't really want to try and backdoor the race, so to speak, and get in by virtue of a couple of third place finishes. But, you know, he didn't really have to put the screws to this horse. Now he did run fifth, so he's going to have to run better in his next start. Um, it was not a it was not a, a great performance, but it, it probably wasn't as bad as it looks on paper. And so I think him and Catching Freedom are horses that you want to keep an eye on. I could see Catching Freedom maybe ending up back at Oakland, depending on where you know, Cox is going to run his squadron of horses. But he was one who I think we kind of felt like could make a meaningful run from off the pace. He kind of ran a, a – he definitely ran a poorer race than Sierra Leone did. But he's also a horse that probably doesn't have quite have Sierra Leone's ability. So it's not all that shocking that he would run a little short of that. Um, it was a it was a solid for each of them. I think it was a solid penultimate prep effort. We're going to want to see significantly better from them in order to to really put them in the in the top tier of horses for the for the uh, Kentucky Derby itself. But you know they've at least positioned themselves fairly. Honor Marie slipped outside Eric's top ten, and I understand that uh, he wanted to get catching freedom in there, and that that only makes sense. But like like you said, we like to point out horses who are maybe a little bit better than the bare figure or the bare form suggests. I think you can say that about Honor Marie. Let's talk about Hall of Fame for a minute. I it was my hope Hall of Fame's horse I picked in the race, and it was my hope that he was going to get Track Phantom's trip, and it did seem like there were 
uh, you know, this isn't really conspiracy theory. Just, you know, my eyeballs early in the race tell me the plan was always for Rosario to go forward with Track Phantom and to experiment a little bit with Hall of Fame and see how he'd react to to rating. He didn't react well. Race was over a long way out for Hall of Fame, but not necessarily for the Derby, but in another race, in another situation, I'm curious to see how he'll do allowed to roll on the front end uh, again, which I think is probably the way that, that he wants to go. You know, he did nothing here at a overbet seven to two, but a horse, I'm not quite ready to, to, to get rid of the possibility that he might have some valuable prize next to his name before the year's over. What did you think of Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, he was a disappointment of the race, right? He was the one that, that was kind of the, you know, the sexy outsider because of that big maiden win. I think there was a little bit of concern on my part about him coming off of Lasix because a lot of times these horses improve with Lasix and then they just don't perform at the same level. He didn't run like a horse who bled. Um, he ran like a horse who probably didn't have – and he didn't have a soft trip when he broke his maiden, right? He re- went really fast early. He was involved in a really strong pace. That was part of the reason why we were all intrigued by him. So it was a, I think we're going to learn a lot about this horse by where Steve runs him next. And if he keeps him in the mix for a final prep, then I think he's serious about him getting to the Derby. Um, if, if we were to see him surface in, you know, a one other than, or we start hearing about the Lexington or something like that, then he's probably looking at him being more of a long-term type project. But you're talking about a $1.4 million son of Gunrunner that broke his maiden with a 94 fig in January. I mean, he is supposed to be given every opportunity to be a derby horse, I just don't know what the options are. And other than running him back at the fairgrounds, you're potentially looking at running him in the bluegrass um, because there is no, you know, he would have been a great New Mexico horse, right? He would have been a great horse to sort of try and backdoor into there by winning a race like the, uh, the, the Sunland Derby, but that's gone. That race ran last week. So there's no, no opportunity there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think there's definitely more to him than we got on Saturday but I don't know if there's quite as much as we hoped there'd be after that maiden win. I think that's very, very fair and well put. While we're talking about horses that uh, ran in this race, we should probably talk about Resilience, who managed fourth at 16 to 1. A lot of people liked as an underneath long shot. Hopefully they were able to get paid. But it wasn't the kind of effort that that left me thinking there's a lot more in the locker. I mean, you can argue he was supposed to, with that trip, run even better if he was a serious derby contender. In the hands of Bill Mott, certainly there's scope for improvement, but uh, probably not one I'm going to be backing the next day. What did you think of him? Yeah, long range feels like a horse that Mott should probably just let develop. Um, at this stage, I don't think he's quite at, at everybody else's level ability-wise, and I could see them maybe taking a softer route and looking long-term at like Peter Pan and, and Belmont or something like that. He has more of a look to, of that kind of horse to me. Um, he he ran fine. You know, he was close to the slow pace and got out finished a little bit late, did get into maybe a little bit of traffic in deep stretch, but it didn't affect his finishing position. So, yeah, he seems like a horse who's gradually moving forward. Um, be interesting to see if maybe Bill sends him back there. Maybe he's an Oaklawn horse. Uh, you know, Bill ship will ship anywhere. So, yeah, you, you kind of have to wonder maybe exactly what the connections are looking for there. You mentioned the Sunland Park Derby. Why don't we have a word on that before we get back to fairgrounds? That was won by Stronghold, son of Ghost Zapper, decent figure of 89. This is a race that within recent memory has produced horses that have uh, gone on to do things in the Derby. Um, but, you know, not exactly, we'll use the old JK, not exactly cutting in line line for this one based on this figure, given that it was a pretty easy trip at a pace that, that held together. Did you have any uh, any thoughts on the Sunland Park Derby? 
Uh, not really. Um, nothing, you know, I, I think they probably made a good decision by moving this race up. Uh, Stronghold is now the only horse who came out of the Los Alpiturity that ran particularly well in his next start. Um, he's a horse who was well beaten by Nysos and, and also was beaten by Winstock. And finally, I think, found a way to get away from those horses and find his friends for uh, for Doug O'Neill. So he ends up getting a modest number of derby points. This race obviously doesn't have the automatic qualification status that it did previously. Um, he's a solid horse with some ability. I think, what fig did he get? What buyer fig did he get? 89. 89. Okay, so he's moving forward. You know, you could see him maybe being an outsider for uh, – for a final prep type race, uh, maybe, you know, looking at, at something on the West Coast. And it'd be hard, obviously, to beat Nysos or Muth or whoever Bob Baffert ends up having run in the in the Santa Anita Derby. But, um, you know, a useful effort and a horse that clearly may not be at the top of his generation, but he's got some ability. Maybe it is a little bit of a form boost for Nysos, too, who's been so impressive to the eye and on the clock. Our, our, our number one with a bullet for our Preakness top 10 rankings is is nice so certainly let's go back to the fairgrounds and talk about tarifa as mentioned the buyer came back uh, identical they they uh, they hung up a 90 for tarifa which is a lot faster than we've seen a lot of three-year-old fillies of recent vintage at this stage of the year i think as you pointed out earned a lot more efficiently therefore easily you could argue than the figure that uh, sierra leone ran but you know given that we're not grading her against the boys. We're grading her against her own sex. And she looks pretty fast right now. I, I thought the second was really uh, pretty good. Intricate in this race too, probably got what she needed out of the run. What did you think of the fairgrounds Oaks and who's the horse you want out of the race? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, look, Tarifa ran very well and, um, and Tarifa did something for similar connections to, uh, last year's dual prep winner, wet paint, actually a three time prep winner, um, and ran faster, ran faster than wet paint ever did, actually. So it was a good effort. It was a solid run. Um, she kind of was able to work her way between horses at times and and finished up nicely, was also a horse coming off of Lasix, having won an allowance race after that. This was a horse who uh, I would say Brad Cox was a little bit a little bit more conservative with coming out of the maiden win. You know, you generally don't expect with all of the uh, the stakes that are available for Brad to run into one other than with a filly who got an 83 fig first time out. But I guess being a little bit more patient with her paid off. And she looked good. I think she's a she's obviously going to be a pretty solid favorite in the Fairgrounds Oaks when all is said and done. I don't think Intricate lost much in defeat. I think she ran fine. Um, she feels like a horse who probably will, will move forward gradually as uh, she gets into her three-year-old season. And Brendan Walsh is not one that generally has them all that cranked up off the layoff. So she got a lifetime best 87 fig and obviously has some affinity for Churchill Downs. So... Feels like she's one that you should keep firmly on your radar as well. And I mean, I guess the disappointment in there was Vivi's dream, who looks like she's probably going the wrong direction after looking like a a really solid two-year-old kind of does make you feel like she might be a horse that peaked already, um, which is a concern. But uh, yeah, I would say that, you know, Tarifa is one you need to need to keep your eye on as far as the uh, as far as everything goes in, with regards to the Oaks. I don't see any specific reason in this race other than just looking at, you know, body of work and pedigree. Do you see any particular reason why Intricate might be able to improve the two and three quarter lengths over, over Tarifa? I mean, just with the inactivity coming in, you know, just, just with the, with this being her first start of 2024 feels like a horse that Brendan Walsh is more likely to let sort of race and train herself into form. 
And the fact that she so efficiently handled the the two two turn objectives late last year, um, it does make you feel like there's probably she and she also did take a step forward on Saturday. Now, I mean, the thing is, if she needs to get to a 95 or 96 fig to win the Oaks, is she capable of getting there? You know, that's that's going to be something we we wait and see. So um, I, I I guess that she's probably an Ashland filly, whereas uh, we're more likely to see the uh, the Fairgrounds Oaks for Tarifa and. Um, and then somebody will go to the fantasy as well. So, yeah, we'll get a little, we'll get a good opportunity. It's getting a sense of how good these horses are. I misspoke before, of course. I called this race the Fairgrounds Oaks. This was the Rachel Alexandra. Just another interesting note. So, on buyer, the figures come back the same. On time form raw, they come back the same, but no upgrade for Tarifa for running efficiently. So, you know, 105 instead of 111 on that, uh, on the time form performance figure scale kind of interesting to see just you know this is the different perspective you get from time form versus buyer and the reason that i always like to use both what else did you see before we look at this future pool just curious to talk about anything else at uh, at, at fairgrounds on saturday that, uh, that that stood out to you as you know you were obviously busy behind the mic but i know you had uh, if not one eye on these races that you would have went back and, and and looked at them after any particular performances worth highlighting as far as you're concerned um, I mean, nothing, nothing too crazy. There's often a, a maiden race on this card that will garner a lot of attention and a big fig. Um, it actually ended up being a one other than, but it was a three horse race. And Tuscan Sky, who was an impressive debut winner at Aqueduct, went down to fairgrounds and won a one other than against Nash and got a 95 buyer. Uh, the interesting thing about Tuscan Sky is that he's two for two, but he's run on wet tracks both times. So we don't really know what Tuscan Sky is going to have in the tank when he runs on a dry track. But he could end up being a new shooter for the Louisiana Derby. If Todd wants to send him back, he could end up being a probably not a Florida Derby horse, but maybe a bluegrass horse. So I think we're definitely going to get a race with a grade next to it for Tuscan Sky's next start. And, you know, look, even though his trip was soft and it was a three-horse race, he ran a fig that makes you say, okay, he's, you know, he's among the players in the division right now. It's, it's uh, pretty clear at this point. So it reminds you a little bit of – God, I want to say Cyberknife. Did Cyberknife run an allowance race? I think, and then came back and won the and won the Arkansas Derby. I believe that's the case. So it feels a little bit like that. Maybe a horse that you know was a little behind the curve or, or had a hiccup and a misstep along the way, but then got himself back to where he needed to be in order to get ready for a big objective. And so we'll see what we get next time out from Tuscan Sky. Let's take a look. Yeah, he ran in an allowance race. He didn't do well in the Lecompte, and then he came back and and won. Very impressively with a good, like a really game. fast allowance race, yeah. And then and then zipped on and won the won the Arkansas Derby, um, cementing his status as a JK enemy for life. I, I still don't even remember the reason for that, but the. <laughs> but, oh, I remember, but yeah. <laughs> what was the? I had another point I wanted to make about, oh, this, this was the race. That that allowance race was the one that made me think that the track probably slowed down. Bayer obviously didn't see it that way, giving a figure five points faster to that allowance race than the Louisiana Derby. And that's one we're just going to have to wait and, and see. But as a figure maker yourself, are you, are you, are you comfortable with that idea that that race was really five points faster than the, than the, than the big one, than the Risen Star? I don't see how anybody could be comfortable um, given the, the weather conditions, the time of day, uh, the deteriorating weather conditions. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that that's one where Randy Moss makes the figs at fairgrounds. I think if you told Randy, you really have to, to stand by this figure, he would tell you, I'll go ahead and stand down. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think this is one that he's gonna that he's gonna fight very much. I mean, in the other the other race that sort of of makes you kind of say where the hell did that come from is Whit Beckman debuted a horse named Drip, who won the seventh on the card and got a ninety five. And I mean, you're looking at you're looking at the figs for that race and what what that horse. I'm sorry, got a ninety four. What that horse running a ninety four means is that. Two first-time starters behind him each got 89 buyer speed figures first time out. They were all horses that went off in the 7-2, to 3-1 to one to 7-2 to two range. Uh, one of them that I'm speaking of was Discreet Mischief, who's an into mischief that Brad Cox trained for Samaya U.S. The other one is a horse named Band for Life, who is by Maximus Mischief, um, who Al Stahl trained. So, I mean, is it crazy to think that these three horses all ran 89-plus buyer speed figures first time out? It's not crazy. It's just – it's not the easiest thing to believe. And then – Going even a step further with regards to speed figures, that means that in the next race, which was the Colonel Power, and it was taken off the turf, Minnesota Ready, who had pretty much primarily been a, a, a turf horse up to that point, got a 102. And, I mean, recently he had been a turf horse. He had been a dirt horse that did have some past races that were quick. He had a 95 buyer when he beat Roman Centurion in, in June of 2023. But, I mean, this is a horse that you generally were, weren't really expecting to up his game to a 102 at five and a half furlongs on the dirt. But he did. So, yeah, if you want to tell me I think the early figs are a little fast and the late figs are a little slow, I think it could easily play out that way. It's going to be very important to watch these horses next races. That's right. I mean, that's how you get a line on the figures and the form. You got to see what they do next out. It's a lot easier back in the day when they ran every week, uh, every couple of weeks. We're, we're not going to have that advantage, but something that a story that we'll be following throughout and talking about here on the show. The other interesting note about Drip was he's the one who had been apparently outworking Honor Marie. So their form is is linked in a sense there um, as well. So that's, that's something else to pay attention to. That note, not for me. That's another one that came from Frank McGoey, who we had on the, the Plus show. Speaking of In the Money Plus, we've got a lot coming up this weekend. We're going to have Clay Sanders talking about the, the Rebel Stakes Day. I'm sure we'll do the big race on the show. JK actually and I already have a quick little preview of that up on YouTube. But with Clay, we'll get into a lot of the other stakes. And then we're going to have Michael Adolfson back talking about the loaded Saudi Cup card. Boy, uh, that Saudi Cup race, Nick, I don't know if you've looked at it, but it really came up with, I mean, it's a super, super strong race that has basically everybody you, you might want to see in it who's uh, still in training at this time of year. Have you, have you glanced at that yet? I've not. The uh, One of the placing judges at Tim Houston is a, is a horse player, and so he was asking me yesterday when we were walking out, hey, are you going to bet the Saudi Cup? And, and I said, well, more than likely – um, I said, I do need to familiarize myself with who's running. So are we at a stage where who's running is out? Like, are we, do we know who's in these races yet? It hasn't drawn, but it's, it's more about just rumors of horses. And you've got the Japanese contingent of, with Ushba and Derma Sotogake. You've got Waita Barrio leading the charge there. You've got National Treasure and Senor Buscador uh, showing back up. Looks like Hoist the Gold is going to be s heading there. Luxembourg coming from Ireland. It's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty fun it's a pretty fun looking group with a lot of horses. Oh, Crown Pride being mentioned, another uh, Japanese contender. Um, defunded. It's going to be an interesting race for sure. Yeah, looking forward to it undoubtedly. And you know, the mile and an eighth round one turn is kind of an equalizer, so it should be a lot of fun. 
that's another one where maybe we'll do the big race on on the show. But if you want everything and, you know, Michael's perspective from being on the ground over there, invaluable. Check it out in the slash plus going to be getting very active for the rest of the year. We're a little light to start the year. We're going to be doing a lot, a lot more there. All right. Let's look at the Derby future pool. Um, all others closes once again at five to one. We're getting to the point where I'm not so sure <laughs> there's that much value there, though. I guess you know a fast maiden winner could could uh, that wasn't in the forty the thirty nine individual listings or thirty eight individual listings could make a splash at this point. Um, Sierra Leone bet into six to one. I mean that's uh, you heard from the, my earlier comments how much I like the horse. I, I'm not sure. I mean. Gosh, it seems like it'd be easy enough to get six to one on the day on Sierra Leone. That's that's not overly exciting to me. Did you make any bets in this pool? Did you have any uh, any thoughts on either of those wagers or or anything else that came up in the future pool? I did not. Um, I mean, I would have probably taken a horse like Speakeasy at forty one to one. Um, yeah. I would have been maybe a little bit more inclined to take like a Knights. No, I'm, I'm sorry, not Knightsbridge. Um, the other oh, one yeah. from from Florida. Yeah, actually, you know who I would have bet? I would have bet domestic product at eighty to one. Yeah, that's not crazy. That's not crazy at all. Yeah. Um, looking through here at the the international market, Sierra Leone is the favorite, seven to one. Um, you know, they, they, it, it's they're just holding everything safe. It's just a lot of horses at sixteen and twenty. I'm not going to even bother to go through it. There's not enough. Uh, there's not enough variation. Um, on, on the on the on the themes there. Let's read through some of the others who who took money in in this future pool. Dornick nine to one. Um, you know that's 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 not insane, but it doesn't appeal. Timberlake, who's coming back to run this weekend, fifteen to one. Where are you with him as a as a horse right now? Are you expecting him to do the business this weekend in the Rebel, or, or do you think that race is a little bit more open? Yeah, he's supposed to win. I was actually going to bring him up and say, you know, we're going to get a line on where all these horses are based on on how well he runs. And, you know, the I, I think I have burned in my memory with, with regards to Timberlake, Sean Borman basically sitting there and telling all of us this horse has no chance in the Breeders' Cup. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, well, he's just fool's gold. And, you know, anybody who likes him is just way off base. So I'm very intrigued by how he comes back. He's supposed to come back. With a big effort, he's a huge favorite on the morning line in this race because, quite honestly, he just towers over them on paper. Um, so we're going to see exactly how he performs. I'm, I'm expecting a big run. And uh, other than just Steele, who was kind of a, a distant second behind Mystic Dan last out in the Southwest, I mean, this is a this is a really hungry group of horses with regards to, to speed figures and where they're at right now. So he's supposed to do his job. He's going to feel to some people that bet him like a horse that after Saturday they're going to think, boy, was I smart to take uh, 15 to one on this horse. But uh, he, he to me still has a lot to prove in, in what will end up likely being two starts before the Derby. Six to five on that morning line, as you note, just steals pretty interesting. You, you go back and you look at the Southwest and how it was run. All the other speed horses were bet and finished way back in the field. And he was the, the, the clear best of speed, even though Mystic Dan got him by eight. But he was also wide with Mystic Dan riding on what was probably the best part of the track. So there's probably a lot fewer than eight lengths really between them. Um, and you would, I would think he'll try similar stalk and pounce tactics here. I want to try to make a case for Carbone, but the race shape is very, very tricky for, for him. You know, they, I'm thinking they got to send. 
down there at the rail and there's a lot of speed to the outside at 15 to one in the morning line. That might be my guess include at a price, unless in case he can somehow work out a trip, maybe Castillo gets him away from there and can flop outside and get that kind of a stock and pounce trip himself. But it's, it's a, it is much more of an allowance race um, outside. You know, I feel like it's, it's probably between the, it's probably a Timberlake uh, just steel match, not having done the hundred percent job on it yet, but yeah, not the, uh, it's 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 not a it's not a scintillating group. It's not like last week's Risen Star, where you had four or five horses you could comfortably put in the top ten. As far as top ten type horses for the Derby, it's really Timberlake and everybody else. What was Sean's knock on Timberlake going into the going into the the Breeders' Cup? Just uh, his his lack of a strong finishing time in the Champagne and the, just the overall slow figure in the Hopeful. I'm guessing. Yep, he didn't like either race. He thought uh, the, the hopeful was very overrated with regards to speed figure. Now, of course, fierceness came out of there and ran great in the uh, in the Breeders' Cup. But yeah, he felt like Timberlake was just crazy overrated in terms of of how people were approaching him off of that race, and so he took a, a much more critical approach. And he was a hundred percent right. Timberlake was bad. The thing is, I mean, when you look at it, brass tacks, Timberlake ran the same speed figure in the Breeders' Cup that he did in the Champagne, and that was a weekend where Brad Cox's horses didn't exactly turn heads. So, you know, maybe there was something else going on. Maybe something got around the barn a little bit. Um, it feels like this is a very important race for Timberlake because he's supposed to win. And the reason why you're supposed to be concerned is because he's supposed to win. Right. <laughs> That's a good a good way of looking at it. No clocker report or anything, but just looking at the work tab, he appears to be doing very well. So I think what whatever we'll, we'll know – you know, this isn't one where I'll be making excuses a la Anna Marie saying, oh, the horse is supposed to come on for the run. I think I think we're going to get a pretty good indication of, of where we are with his effort in this race. It'll be fun to check it out. Anything else going on with you? Any other thoughts from uh, from the weekend or things you're excited about uh, moving forward, Nick? No, definitely ready for this Rebel in the Derby season to really heat up because we've got two, three big preps the week after that with the Gotham Fountain of Youth and and San Felipe, along with the big cap and the Tampa Bay Derby. And we're just in high gear by that point. So yeah, looking, uh, looking forward to how things are going to shake out the next few weeks. I started a Sopranos rewatch. I've been meaning to tell you that I haven't, I haven't watched it in gosh, it might be five or six years. So it's been really fun going back and, and checking out the, the, I mean, I'm just in the middle of season two now. So we're just beginning and it is really, it's really fun to see a lot of the seeds that get planted for the whole history of the show, even in those first two seasons. and But it is funny. It's a little bit production values and just the ability to make movies has changed so much. There's some things that are like a little janky that I wasn't expecting, just in terms of like um, – the way the 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 voiceover when they, when they have to like dub in lines and the way things sound it, it's it, it's it's an, a very interesting point in TV history to me between sort of like the old kind of shows where a David Chase came from you know a Rockford Files or a Northern Exposure as opposed to sort of the the fully full on cinematic quality of a show like The White Lotus Sopranos is like a bit of a it, rewatching it strikes me it's a bit of a a bit of a tipping point in that regard um, where we're sort of everything changed, making all this other stuff possible. But yeah, I'm surprised, surprised. I'm still really digging it and it's really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm on my, you know, million three watch. And so I usually just pick a show and I watch the rest of the series from there. I pick an episode. And so I, I went back all the way to the happy wanderer, which I think is the sixth episode of season two where Davies Catino gets himself into trouble at the card game. 
and um, and it ends up being very problematic for him moving forward. But one of yes. the one of the episodes I watched recently was when uh, when Richie April approaches Junior about trying to take Tony out, and he explains to uh, to Bobby, you know, that that Richie is really fearless for his size. And I remember watching the episode where Richie goes back to Uncle Junior to tell him that Albert Barese said no as far as joining them and trying to make a move against Tony, and how Uncle Junior is very frustrated with Richie's inability to sell it. And he says, and so Bobby is just standing there, like utterly captivated by Uncle Junior, walking him through the process that he's going through. And he's staring at him and he, and Bobby says, and Uncle Junior says, you know, what the fuck are you looking at? And he says, I'm in awe of you. <laughs> because he can't believe that, you know, here he's indicated to him that, you know, they're going to go with Richie and they're going to make a move against Tony and, and all of this. And now Uncle Junior is telling him, no, we're actually going to totally reverse course. We're going to go with Tony and we're going to put, we're going to hang Richie out to dry. And, you know, and then in that episode, Tony finds out that Richie wants to make a move against him. He gets this frantic phone call from Janice. I actually think that episode, which is called The Knight in White Satin Armor, is one of the five best episodes of the whole series. He gets this frantic phone call from Janice and he is convinced that he's getting himself set up at his mother's house to get killed. Walks in, sees Richie dead on the floor and like is wants to grin ear to ear. And he and, and Gandolfini was so good. And he grabs his face to kind of hold a smile down because here his his sister is like grief stricken holding the husband that she the future husband that she just gunned down. That she not only shot, but he fell on the floor and she put one more in him to finish him off. That's amazing. Gandolfini one of the things that stands out is just how much I think the success of the show and the show becoming the phenomenon it did is due to the Gandolfini performance. That really stands out to me as well. I just don't know. I mean, the blend of fear and empathy and to capture complex emotions that Gandolfini has, I just don't think there's too many actors who, who could have done that. That was one of the all-time great hero villains. Yes. Right. I mean, there's just no, you're, you're Walter White is probably a comparable hero villain um, because you, you know, he started to do bad things, but he had the right intentions. Gandolfini is actually, a, or, or Tony Soprano is a darker character, but you have all of these moments of humanity where you connect with him and then he does something and you think to yourself, oh Christ, I mean, he was a bad guy, oh, you yes. know, through the whole Davies Catino bust out, you're supposed to feel bad for for Davy Scatino and the, what you're supposed to be is, is you're supposed to be sick at how Tony is just destroying this guy's life. He's letting him rifle through his son's college fund. He's ruining his business, you know, all because of a poker debt. But, and, and he explains to him in one of the episodes in that season, he says, Davy, this is my bread and butter. This is how guys like me make a living. <laughs> the best. It's, it's an amazing combination of e e this sort of relatable evil that he uh, that he puts on the screen. And you mentioned about Richie April, and I, I just I'm such a big David Proval fan. And of all the great things Chase does in the show, having, I mean Richard Romanus also from Mean Streets has he's more of a minor character, the ex Melfi ex husband. But God, right. to give Proval a, a part to chew on like Richie April, it's just. And it just sort of sets the template for the 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 Tony antagonist that we get to see in in seasons to come with guys like uh, B 
Buscemi and Joey Pants and the and, and the rest of them. I'm, I I feel good about. I like how you do it. After doing multiple rewatches, I think the idea of going back, picking an episode, and jumping from there makes sense. But if you haven't done it a ton, the idea of just going back and watching from the beginning again, just the, the I don't want to. For I, I guess there's no spoilers on The Sopranos at this point, but you know, I mean, having in 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 one of the first uh, episodes having. Uh, having meadow talk about her her challenges parallel parking it's just <laughs> it makes me, it's just brilliant shit <laughs> it's the great it's the greatest the absolute greatest excellent all right nick thank you so much always enjoy the sopranos uh, tangents i did have some people ask you know because remember we did a we did a a trailer breakdown of of uh, many saints of newark and then i think given the way the film turned out neither one of us had the heart to actually <laughs> Yeah. pot on, on the thing because I didn't want to be you know what I mean I like the show so much I didn't want to didn't want to be as critical as we probably would have had to have have been for that what what do you hear you're in tune with this stuff is there any chance they're going to try to do clearly that was set up not to be a one-off but to be a series did it perform so badly that it's dead or do you think we'll, we'll see another soprano story at some point it feels dead. I hope there's something else happens because I'd hate for it to go out like that. But yeah, it's it feels dead at this point. Um, you know, not not nothing encouraging about the way that shook out. So um, still hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. There were, I mean, the main ca- the the you know the, the kid, the Gandolfini kid was terrific. Um, the uh, the what, cast what, was what? way too good for that to be a shitty movie. Like yeah, you know, yeah. Vera Farmiga and That's and Bernthal and uh, Alessandro Nivola. Like they're all they're way too good. Those guys have all been in great roles left and right. Um, and so you just don't you know you expect it to be much 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 better. But I mean, sometimes the the concept just falls short. And I think the problem is that like the real purists and the real fans of the show felt like so much of that of those occurrences in that movie were contrived based on what was alluded to in the show. And it was almost like, okay, well, we've got to fit this in and we've got to find a way to show where, you know, Johnny boy shot the bullet through, uh, through uh, uh, Livia's hair. And it was like, okay, well, you know, you saw it and you were like, well, we really didn't need to do that. You know, I know there was a reference to that, but it didn't really need to happen. And then I didn't love, I didn't love the Johnny boy representation in the show. I thought, I know that in the movie, rather, I know they kind of always alluded in the show to him being a bit of a hard ass, but I don't know. He had kind of a fun element to him in the show. And then he was just a prick in the movie, right? Just very hard on Tony, you know, nothing, nothing human really about him at all. And he didn't, I don't, I never really got that sense of him being that in watching the show. I mean, yeah, he was a knockaround guy. He was a tough guy. He was a gangster. You know, yeah. One of the first scenes we were exposed to him, he was cutting off, Satrial's thumb but you know at the same time there was a humanity to him that you had in the show that you just didn't really get from the movie at all so um and then the, the end the and the character who played who played uncle jr who was in who's in billions is course, very so. good a name i can't remember me yeah of course right so yeah i mean he's very good as well and then so we kind of got this this illusion of like hey well uncle jr was you know he was a tough guy too he wasn't always the cartoon character that he was set up to be in the show um, so I, you know, I hope they, they go with that if they can possibly can, but yeah, it feels like getting all those people back into the mix and doing another one seems far-fetched. The way to do it, I, I mean, it would be a, and part of the problem was it didn't, the, the, the crew, the, 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 the Tony crew as portrayed just didn't work, you know, like the Sil portrayal just didn't work. Oh, the Silvio character was so cringeworthy. It didn't. And so I don't know how you get around that, but as the, as the kid, and I keep calling him the kid, which is, which is offensive, uh, the, the, the what is Gandolfini's son's name? Michael Gandolfini. Michael. 
he does such a good job as he ages the ability for him to to you know if they could maybe find some story that 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 is not so referential to you know now that they've sort of covered those bases if they could do something with him in a in five years when it feels like more of a reboot you know maybe you could lean on the on the core cast and find some way of getting the crew out of the story and like just take another i'd like to see them take another rip at it i don't know if chase has the has the the fire in his belly at this point but you're right it would be a shame if that's if that's the last we see of those uh of those characters, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a, there were enough good things that it like, I can't shake the idea that, that it could have been good and just didn't work out. Yeah. Chase is 78. So who knows, um, if what I'm saying is even, is even realistic, but, uh, it would be fun for, for the likes of us hardcores to, uh, to take another rip at it at some point. All right, Nick, that's, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate your time today. Always fun talking racing and of course, a little pop culture with you as well. Well, we'll talk about uh, later in the week, maybe having you back to do a big race preview or something when it comes to Saudi Cup and uh, and the Rebel. But uh, but but really appreciate you, my friend. Sounds great. Thank you. Enjoyed it. All right. There you go. We'll leave it there. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing mentioned already. Lee Sanders going to be on a little bit later in the week on the plus side to talk about that Rebel Stakes card. Uh, we'll thank our new charity partner, Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga. We're going to learn more about them from Kim over the months to come. It was great having her back on these airwaves. Their website, actually the easiest way to find their website, we have a little pretty link set up in themoneypodcast.com slash horses. We'll take you to the Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga website. You can learn more about their mission. And if you feel so inclined, give to their cause. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. Me you win all your photos.